Okay. Hey, it's good to see all of you here today. Looks like the first service. <laughs> okay, let's uh, go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you that it's the start of the new year. We really uh, will be guided by your word in everything that we do. And uh, We pray that right now, as we come before you, that you will instruct us by your word through the Holy Spirit. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, that's still a bit of feedback, is it? Okay. Uh, now, I think that as a Christian person, uh, one of the uh, most uh, stinging things that a person can say to you is, and you call yourself a Christian. Okay, now, uh, that doesn't sound very good coming from me, but imagine if it's your mom or your relative or your colleague or classmate saying that, you know, and you, say, and you call yourself a Christian, uh, and usually what that means is that they're calling you a hypocrite, because, you know, you call yourself a Christian, but you're not acting like one. But uh, you don't hear that very much nowadays, and I think it's really sad, because I think that uh, one of the sad things is that the behavior between Christians and non-Christians uh, don't seem to be that different anymore, and therefore, people are proud of calling themselves Christians, they go to church, but they don't act like Christians. But I think that uh, as we see in today's passage, uh, that's a very serious thing. It's not a trivial thing. It's a very serious thing because it means that we have not taken God's mercy uh, for the right understanding of it. And that's why if you actually look at today's passage, it's up here. right? You should have your Bibles with you as well because I'm going to refer to it. But if you, ha- if you look up here, it starts off by saying, Therefore, right? Therefore, I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now, the therefore here is really important because uh, after chapter 12, it's all about instructions in the book of Romans. But before then, chapter 1 to 11 is all about facts. And uh, basically, the facts uh, are boiled down into two words. Uh, All of chapter 1 to 11 can be described as God's mercy. Isn't that what it says there? In view of God's mercy. And what he's saying is actually chapter 1 to 11 is all about God's mercy to us. Uh, Now I know that some of you didn't get much sleep last night. So we're going to try to uh, compact it a bit, okay? Now if you look at at, uh, chapter 1 to 11, right, you can actually see that all the way from chapter 1 to 11 is all about what we deserve, what mankind deserves is actually God's anger and wrath and judgment. What do we get instead? We get God's mercy. So in chapter 1, it's all about God's, man's godlessness, people's godlessness in the rebellion means that they deserve judgment. Uh, and in chapter 2, God goes on to say, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jewish person, it doesn't matter whether you're a good person, uh, there is no protection from God's judgment. In chapter 3, he says, everyone sins. Right? Everyone sins. So you cannot work for your salvation, but must trust Jesus instead to pay for our sins. And chapter 4 and 5, it sort of says that we either belong to Adam or we belong to Jesus. It doesn't matter uh, about ourselves. It's only our faith and confidence in God that saves us. In chapter 6 to 7, it's all about the law uh, condemning us because we sin. And in chapter seven, 8, it talks about how we can over, over, only overcome death and judgment by trusting God's love shown to us in Jesus. And chapter 9 to 11, it shows that God shows mercy to everyone, regardless of whether they're Jew or whether they're Gentile. So that's the definition of mercy. The definition of mercy is getting something you don't deserve. Uh, and, and that's what chap- Romans chapter 1 to 11 is about. We deserve everybody. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how good I think I, I, I am. We deserve God's judgment, anger and wrath. But because God is merciful, 
He forgives us, gives us salvation, eternal life and a relationship with Him. Now, in Romans chapter 3, uh, <clears throat> it actually summarizes the whole argument for us. It says, what shall I con- we conclude then? Are we any better? Uh, not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and that the whole world held accountable to God. And in verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. So the first thing I I want to really impress upon you is we are all sinners. We are all sinners and we are all held accountable to God. We all deserve judgment. But the next slide, just a few verses after this. Okay, it says verse 20, right? But we go straight to verse 23. Sorry, verse 21. It says, But now righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by His grace or His mercy through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So, all of uh, chapter 12 onwards says that we must respond to God's mercy. But before we can either actually respond, we need to, re- to realize that we have been the recipients of God's mercy. And to, be, to acknowledge that we're the recipients of God's mercy, we have to recognize that we are sinners. See, we mustn't be like uh, the little children, right? So, there was this uh, girl, little girl, who was asked by her father, Why did Jesus die for you? And the girl said, Because I'm a very, very good person. No, right? Uh, we might think that, but because we're not young anymore, we don't say that, right? But we might think we're very good, but actually it is because we are very, 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 very bad, but God is very, very merciful. Now, I don't know about you, uh, some of you might be married, but you know, uh, on the way to church, sometimes, even after I became a pastor, right, uh, you have arguments with your wife, or your wife argues with you uh, on the way to church, right? Maybe, uh, I, I mean, maybe it only happens to me, but I doubt it, right? Okay? You know, you come to church, and your wife is saying, why do you drive so slowly? You know, like, uh, why did you take so long to brush your teeth? How come, you know, this, this, uh, so then you start arguing in the car, or maybe arguing with children, right? So, uh, apparently it's a true story of how a couple were late for church. They were arguing away, all the way up to the front step of the church. So they came into the church, and the first song that they were sang in church was, Amazing Grace. Okay, now for those of you who are maybe not so familiar, Amazing Grace is a very famous Christian song. And the first stanza of Amazing Grace goes, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right, do, you, do you remember this song? Right? So they came in, they sat down in the church, and they started singing the song. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And then when it says, that saved a wretch, then they looked at each other and said, like you. Right? <laughs> Save the wretch like you. Okay? But I think that... Uh, all of us are wretches, right? All of us are wretches. And we are all saved by God's amazing grace. But once we recognize that we are saved by God's amazing grace, then we must respond in a certain way. And that's why, if you look back at the passage, right? Therefore, in view, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, because of God's mercy, it's not something to consider, but because God has done this for you, in view of it, 
you must act in a certain way. And what is it? We must offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, I hope that all of you have your Bibles. Don't just rely on looking at the PowerPoint. But if, if you have your Bible, I don't know about your Bible. But my Bible, where it says spiritual, there's a footnote. Does your Bible have a footnote next to spiritual? Well, mine is a footnote anyway. And the footnote here, footnote C, says the word spiritual also means reasonable. Reasonable. That word there, spiritual, literally means that has the idea of reasonableness, rationalness, logic, right? So our re- logical, spiritual, uh, reasonable act of worship to God in view of His grace is to act in a certain way. So we need to appreciate God's mercy to us before we act. We are not acting to impress God. We are not acting to earn His merit. We are not acting to earn brownie points with God. But we are acting because God has acted to us first in mercy. And because He's acted to us in mercy first, we have to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, the idea of living sacrifices here comes from the Old Testament, where the Jews used to go to the temple to sacrifice the animals and to burn them up. Now, uh, what God means now is that uh, as Christians, we don't come to church and bring our kerosene or whatever and uh, burn ourselves up, right? Okay, But he's saying that in a similar way, we bring ourselves, not our animals, right? our pet dogs or rabbits or whatever, but we bring ourselves and we give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And this living sacrifice must be holy and pleasing to God. Now the idea of living sacrifices, whenever I read this before, I always thought it was living opposed Versus dead, right? You know, like living as in beating heart versus no beating heart. But I think here the idea of living is that it's not just living as in a living sort of sense, but living for God sort of sense. Because in the book of Romans, the idea of living is always the idea of living for Jesus. We are living sacrifices. We're living in the sense of living for God and living for Christ. In chapter 6, verse 11, which you see up here, right? Next slide. Look at what it says. In the same way... Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. See, as Christians, we are no longer dead. We're no longer dead in, uh, in the sense where we're living for this world, but we are alive in Christ. We've been brought from death to life. And that's why we are living sacrifices. We're living for Christ. We're living in Christ. We're living in, in, that, in that way, in a spiritual way. And that's why we're holy and pleasing to God. Now, this is really important because many, many people make the mistake of thinking that worship is what we are doing now. Right? People come to church too. They say, worship God, right? People say, oh, I like the worship at that church. And what do they mean? They mean the music, right? What they do in church, the praying, the singing, the sermon, whatever. But here, God says that if you understand how big God's mercy is, then the worship you give to God is just not what you do for one or two hours at church, but the whole of your life. So some people say, oh, you know, uh, when you come to church, why don't you hold up your hands to sing? <coughs> well, it's not as if your, your ears are your hands, right? So you've got better sound quality, right? But some people say, oh, you know, hold up your hands because then God will come into you, right? You'll be able to feel God's presence. 
Uh, or some people say, you know, they think of worship in terms of music. Music makes you feel uh, emotionally the presence of God. So sometimes when you think of uh, music events, they will say, this worship events puts you, puts you in touch with the power of God because you feel the power of God. Or maybe you have a Christian CD, Christian music CD, and the back you say, oh, this music will make you feel uh, the presence of God. But, but that's not what this passage is saying, isn't it? Worship is not about coming to church and feeling God in music. Worship is actually giving your life uh, to God. Uh, it's not the feeling or the architecture or anything else. I mean, I, I, I just came back from Spain. We went to these majestic cathedrals. You go in, you feel the presence of God, no? You, God is already in you through the Holy Spirit and you live out your life in worship. We are the temple of God. Right? We don't go somewhere to find God. God is already in us. So it's really wrong when someone goes to church, and this is a true story, about how this man uh, went to church and uh, he heard the pastor saying, you know, uh, you should you know, greet each other, uh, love one another, welcome other people. And this man said, I come to church to worship God and not to meet people. But that's the whole wrong idea of worship, right? Because you don't come to church to worship God. You are already worshipping God in everything you do. So, the first thing we have to learn is because of God's mercy to us, your whole life is an act of worship. That means, uh, what you do on the internet is an act of worship to God. Uh, The comment you make on someone's Facebook, uh, whether it's holy and pleasing to God, that's a worship to God, isn't it? Whether you watch a particular program or watch a YouTube uh, thing or what you listen to in your iPod right? even how you use the toilet is not worship to God right? you lift up the toilet seat and keep it clean isn't, it, isn't that true? because your whole life is given uh, to, 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 to worship God and doing what is holy and pleasing before Him so that's the first thing we have to learn right? because of God's mercy our whole lives are worshipping God uh, it's not just what we do at church but when you walk out of church but how do we do that? Well, verse 2 is where the nitty-gritty happens, right? Verse 2. And it says there, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, there are two instructions there. Uh, two imperatives. One is negative, and one is positive. Or if you like soccer, one is defensive and one is offensive. Okay, one defense, one attack. So the defensive thing is, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, we tend to think that to be sinful, you have to be special. You have to do things differently from this world, right? Okay? But actually, what the Bible says and what Romans says in particular is, you don't have to be special to be sinful before God. You just have to be like everybody else. Right? Because in Romans chapter 1, this is what it says. Right? In Romans chapter 1, it says the, the thinking of this world is actually anti-God. The thing of this world is actually geared in default to be against God. Look at what it says here in Romans chapter 1 and uh, reflect on how the world thinks. I don't know whether you can see that, but you should be able to. Verse 18, if not, look at your Bibles. Chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, 
being understood for what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images which look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual immorality for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Now you might want to ask yourself, why did I highlight all the yellow things, right? The yellow things actually show that the battle is in the mind. It's in the mind, isn't it? You notice, they suppress the truth. They should know things about God. God can be understood, but their thinking became futile. They thought themselves to be wise, but became fools. They exchanged the truth for a lie. So, if you live in this world, uh, the media, television, internet, all these things, they are actually teaching you a way of thinking which is anti-God. Which baseline is, is default. Is, is actually an anti-God, idolatrous way of thinking. And I think that's true, isn't it? Because when you look at this world, how do you look at this world? What is the mold or the pattern in which you look at this world? All of us look at the world in a certain way, whether you like it or not. No one is totally neutral. We are all shaped by the environment we live in. That's true, isn't it? No one says that. You know, I'm, no one is totally independent. So I remember reading this book called The Good Listener. Next slide. Okay, it's about listening to people. This is that when you listen to people, actually everybody comes from a particular worldview. The way they view the world. The way they see things. So, in uh, my book, it's called The Power of the Cage. Right? That means that we are all in our own cages and we look out of that cage and we see the world in, our, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the way that we see it. And that's the general worldview, isn't it? Because we see the world the way we are shaped to see the world. Uh, through the way the newspaper, the media, the internet, the television teaches us to see the world. But the Bible says that that's not the way that we are supposed to see the world. We are supposed to see the world in God's eyes. And therefore, that's why it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. See, another way of uh, translating it is uh, this J.B. Phillips in his translation. He says, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold but let God remold you, molding your mind from within. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, a mold, every time I think of a mold, I think of this, right? You know, you, you, you get these um, colorful things you can buy from Ikea, and you put, you know, flavored cordial things into it, then it becomes like ice cream, right? But, but that's what we are like, isn't it? In the world that we live in, the world is trying to fit us into a mold where we fit into the expectations of this world. But God says we are not to fit into that mold or pattern. But we are supposed to be remolded in God's way of thinking. So let me ask you a question. Do you think and see the world from the way of the pattern of this world or the mold of this world? So let me ask you a few questions as a test, okay? What does the world say is the center of your life? Who is at the center of your life? Uh, the, the world says that I should be at the center of my life, right? Me. I'm the most important person in the world. Me. But the Bible actually says that I'm not the most important person in the world. Who is the most important person in the world? 
God, isn't it? God is the most important person in the world. Now, the, the world tells us what is, the, what is the mission of our life in this world? What is the goal of our life in this world? To be happy, right? That's what we should aim to be. We should be happy. But God doesn't say that the goal of our life is to be happy. The goal of our life is to serve God. The Bible says uh, that uh, we should acquire as many things as possible, as much money as possible. That's the most important thing, isn't it? But uh, the, God says that that's, that's not the most important thing. So, are you fitting into the mold and pattern of this world, or are you not conforming to the pattern of this world? The second thing that uh, this passage says, this verse says, is do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but, next slide, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, uh, sometimes people say that you are what you eat. Okay? I presume if you eat a lot of McDonald's, then you're a McDonald's person, right? But I don't think so. I think you are what you, you read, isn't it? Or you see, or whatever, because when you feed that into your mind, it shapes the way that you think. But the Bible says we must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, unless you transform your thinking by reading God's word, uh, by thinking his thoughts, you will never be able to, to be changed. You cannot be changed by something you don't know. Correct? So I remember um, uh, reading this article in the newspaper not too long ago. And for whatever reason, in America, they did a survey of these teenage girls uh, to see the effect of watching a lot of reality TV. Anybody like a lot of reality TV here? So anyway, apparently, uh, you know, these girls were watching lots of reality TV in America. And they found that there was a difference between those who watch a lot of reality TV and those who don't. Those who watch a lot of reality TV said that it was okay to gossip and slander in order to get their way in life. And those who watch a lot of reality TV also said that physical appearance was very, very important. And uh, again, those who watch a lot of reality TV said that it was more important to be number one than to be cooperative with other people. So it shows that actually what we take in will affect the way we think. And God says here, no, well, we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So how do we renew our mind? We will come back and be renewed by God's word, isn't it? By God's word. So, um, our plan for this year, okay, our plan for this year, oh, I'm going to give these things out, okay, the bookmarks that we always give every year. Okay, maybe uh, Mandy and David can give this out. Okay, uh, only one per person. Yeah, thanks. I, I realize previous years some people take more than one, so. Okay, where. We really want to challenge everyone to read the Bible every day. Because if the only time you read the Bible is in church, when you listen to the sermon, then let me ask you, how much can you actually be transforming your mind? If you watch 20 hours of television and spend 20 hours on the internet and you read your Bible 40 minutes, how much can you be transformed? Which one will transform you more? Obviously, the, the TV or the internet, isn't it? Because you cannot be changed by what you're not actually feeding into your mind. So, my encouragement to you is, we really need 
to read the Bible. Well, maybe, I don't know how often you read the Bible, but at least double it, right? So our aim is, uh, this year, is every week we will give you a Bible reading, every day we will give you a question, but at the end of the month, hopefully in your Bible study groups, you can come together and talk about what you've read on your own, and uh, how it's actually shaped you. Now, it says there at uh, the last part of this passage, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, unless you read God's word, how can you know what God's will is for you? It's impossible. You know what the world's will is for you, but you don't know what God's will is for you. Unless you read God's word on a daily basis, you cannot be transformed and you cannot test and approve God's will. Now, I really hope that uh, as you read this passage, it's not just about testing God's will, but what it says there, approving of God's will. When you approve of God's will, it's not just saying, yes, yes, you know, that's a good idea, God. Approving of God's will means putting it into practice. Now, I know for a fact that if you do read your Bible more, you will see a change in your life. Now, my wife goes to uh, BSF, and uh, BSF, they read the Bible a lot, and she used to tell me about how uh, in BSF, uh, women, her, the BSF is always by women and men group. The, the women will come together, and sometimes uh, these women who are from uh, marriages they will complain a lot because you're supposed to share, right? So every week they will share about their families, right? Complain about the husband, usually, right, or the children or whatever. But then after spending a year reading the Bible every week, week in, week out, every week, 52 weeks of the year. At the end of the year, they're not complaining about their families so much, their, their children or their husbands. And it's not because their family has changed or their marriage has changed. They have changed. They have been changed because their minds have been renewed by God's Word. And their behavior has been transformed. They're no longer like the world in terms of looking at their husbands or looking at their families. So, I really hope that as you begin 2012, that as you maybe just appreciate a bit more God's mercy to you, you will give your whole life to Him to be holy and pleasing, that you will not conform to this world anymore, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In conclusion, I remember reading this book, which is called Habits of the Mind, where this Christian writer said that it is a calling of every Christian to be an intellectual Christian. Okay, every Christian is called to renew his mind. You cannot say, oh, it's just a Bible study leader or the pastor who has to read the Bible. You have to read the Bible because you are a Christian and you are called to renew your mind. And he was saying that uh, in America, and I think it's true for us in Singapore, people are, are very interested in being very fit Okay, uh, on, I mean maybe not very fit, but at least fitter lah. Okay, have fit bodies. But the problem is that for many Christians in America, they have fit bodies, but they have fat minds. Okay, because they don't discipline themselves to exercise their mind by reading God's word. So they have very toned bodies, but very slack minds. And he says, well, that shouldn't be us, isn't it? Because we are. Paul, if we really appreciate God's mercy to us, we must come back to his word to change our lives, to make it holy and pleasing to him. Now, if you look at this bookmark, actually uh, borrowed or stole, 
Actually, it's not copyright, it's okay. If you, uh, many years ago, I think it was about 20 years ago, so they probably don't use it anymore. Scripture Union came out with a tagline like this. I also have the bookmark. It's so old, it's all faded already, but I've never seen it again, but I thought it was such a good tagline, right? Any day is a good day to start reading the Bible every day. Okay? So I really hope that uh, this will remind you uh, to, to really read the Bible every day. Because if you appreciate what God has done for you, uh, your response, our response is, to change our lives by renewing our minds. Okay, so let's go to God and pray. Dear Father, as we come before you today, in the first day of the new year, we pray that we will be serious about our Christian walk. That once again, we will reflect on just how great it is uh, that love and mercy and grace you've shown us. And that we will renew our mind by turning to your word regularly, every day if possible so that we will be transformed in the way that we live, that we will not live like the people of this world, we will not think like them, but instead we will be living sacrifices before you, and holy and pleasing in every way. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.